Stephen King and George Romero, the masters of terror, bring you a frightening tale that will grab you, grow on you, and give you the creeps. This is going to be extremely painful. Ted Danson, Adrian Barbeau, and Leslie Nielsen in the spine-tingling broadcast television premiere of Creep Show. Monday night at 8 on Channel 11. Radio Drone. Welcome to a very special episode of Radio Drome for two reasons. One, it's the continuation of our Halloween episode. Last week we had to sit through the god-awful Children of the Corn crap. This week we've got a different retrospective, something a little more special. But this is also our 200th episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley, and with me to help celebrate this is a special guest, Mike White. Hello, hello. And then, of course, we have the regular hangers-on, Cecil T. I got my cake. Alex sacrificing for the Egyptian feast himself, Jowski. Why am I on this podcast? It's a radio show, not a podcast. Show some respect. Now, before we get into the show, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME to get 10 free gifts, 6 free DVDs, a special gift for him, a special gift for her, a special gift for both of you, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Do it for Halloween. Do it for the creep. Kids under three eat free. Tonight we are going to look at the Creepshow franchise, as well as a non-Creepshow movie, which I'll explain later. Creepshow, it's, it's a strange franchise, really, when you get down to it. It was just a single movie, and then they made a sequel. I don't know if you consider two films a sequel you know, or, or a franchise or not, and then years later, we got a Creepshow 3, but then we also have an unofficial Creepshow 3. That's what we'll get into later. First of all, before we get into the movie itself, what did you think of 1982's Creepshow, either then or now? can't remember when I first saw the film. It must have been when it was on HBO or something. I loved it then, uh, and I still love it now. I went back and rewatched it just last week, and the thing holds up. You know, I, I was amazed at just how quick everything moves, and it's terrific. I first rented Creepshow from the video store in the early 90s because I was really getting into Stephen King at that time, and I loved that I go back and watch Creepshow a lot. It's a great movie. I believe I saw it sometime in the late 80s, and uh, it was uh, it was on cable. And it was one of those things where uh, I had heard about it from I, my older sister had seen it a bunch of times. And I, so I was very excited to finally see it. And it scared the hell out of me back then. And it's still scary now. Uh, it's just uh, like Mike said, it's paced really well because it's all practical effects. Uh, they still look good. And each of the stories is memorable, some better than others, but they all have a little element of something that you remember about them, which is really rare for uh, anthology movies. 
And see, I first encountered this like Mike. I, I believe it was HBO or Showtime or one of the cable channels. I want to say like around 84, 85. I know I saw this one on TV. Mike and Cecil, you both both brought up the pacing. That's actually, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but that's actually kind of the weird thing about this movie is it's a full two-hour movie in an era where most horror films were 90 minutes, but it doesn't feel like two hours. That's a big compliment to the movie, yeah. I, I believe. No, it doesn't. I think they do a really good job. I mean, the framing story is handled very well, and it doesn't take too long to get into the first story. The first story for me is the creepiest one, and then that they take that and immediately follow it with a comedy story. It really kind of puts you off balance, I think, and really kind of helps make this movie hold your interest a little bit more as far as I don't know what's going to happen. I in especially I mean the third story to me moves the quickest, the briskest. And then after that the fourth story is slightly longer, but again, in that one you're going from horror to comedy or, or comedy to horror kind of. And so again, it just like keeps you interested and moving and then the fifth story for me is probably the weakest one in there but again it doesn't feel like it overstays it's it's welcome so it they i think it was really smart the way that they chose the order and especially having those first two stories right next to each other really puts you off balance and i thought that was great which is ironic because they had to reorder the movie when they shot the movie the third and fifth stories were swapped so it's kind of funny that you bring that up because in retrospect, they made the right call with that. Oh, yeah. Now, let's tell Creepshow is an anthology film directed by George Romero, written by Stephen King. A few of them are adaptations of Stephen King's stories. A few of them were written exclusively for Creepshow. The entire movie is essentially a love letter to 1950s movies and EC comics. And in a few cases, literally a love letter because they actually got some EC comic artists to do the Creepshow comic book that accompanied this as a promotional tie-in. The film was made on an $8 million budget, which was actually kind of big for a film of this type in 1982, but it made $21 million at the box office, so it was a success. What is your favorite story in this one? My favorite one is actually one that Mike said was the weakest, the fifth story. The one with the cockroaches, they're creeping up on you. E.G. Marshall in an almost solitary performance, with the exception of, like, his maid or whatnot, he's the only actor in this one. Oh, he is, but he is... He's a fascinating character because he's an asshole and he's completely OCD. All the stuff with the roaches that it finds ways to make them... They're already horrifying as it is. And just that last shot of, of his body just contorting roaches bursting out is so skin crawling that whole story is a build-up to one really awesome image but it's a build-up with character same for me they're creeping up on you that because i hate bugs and that whole thing is just so freaking creepy he's just in there and when he finally does uh at the end where he peels up the curb uh the carpet and there's just a billion roaches Oh, it still makes my it makes my skin crawl just thinking about it. And then uh, the ending where it's just like, all right, he's in a room and there's no roaches anywhere. And they just start popping out from like his forehead, his mouth. And it, oh, God, it's horrifying. Well, Mike, you mentioned you you thought it started off. Well, I'm going to take it Father's Day as your favorite. Or is it just to see Ed Harris dancing so white? 
I love Father's Day. I just love the way that they use the comic frames the most in that one. It seems like they're really kind of grabbing onto that. I mean, they do some of that comic effect later on in the film. I mean, I'm thinking of like the red behind Ted Danson's head, those kind of things. But especially this one when it's uh, showing Bedelia's father and just the way that things are framed or the frame of the birthday cake and stuff. Totally cheesy, but I absolutely love it. And I just think that the creature is so effective. The music is there for me. And that whole, you know, it's Father's Day and I've got my cake. I mean, that whole thing. It's like one of those indelible lines for me that I will always carry with me. And you can't forget Ed Harris dancing. No, no. Ed Harris dancing is terrific. Ed Harris's death is fantastic. There's just so many great things about that particular one. Though for me, it's almost a toss-up between that and the lonesome death of Jody Verrill, just because, again, so many quotable lines from that one. And see, I got to go with Jody Verrill. I, I thought the comedy worked. Stephen King, especially not being an actor, his almost clown-like, cartoonish, over-the-top performance sold it. It sold the comedy because the, the story could have been told in a straight horror way, Romero, I think, wisely chose to tell this as a comedy piece, and I think it works. I think that one, I'm one of these people that I, I love colored lights. As Joe Dante put it, there are two kinds of color movies, color movies and movies that happen to have color in them. This was a color movie. All of the greens and blues set such a great tone for me that I absolutely loved this one. I thought Jodie Verrill was easily the best one. You didn't know it was a Stephen King film. That one would tell you for sure because Jordy Verrill is the most Stephen King name ever. Meteor shit! <laughs> yeah, Stephen King, I mean, his performance, I mean, he is one of the goofiest looking guys around. I mean, with or without glasses. And, and they even goofy got that him lazy. up even more. Yeah, yeah. And just those great kind of flashes his fantasies of what it's going to be like when he goes to college and sells that meteor. $200, oh. Mike. Jordy Terrell's mama raised no idgets. I, I just the love the ending, too. The ending when he blows his head off? or the, Yeah, because it's the, just... Well, it just kind of pans the room and you see, like, this... It's just weeds everywhere. And then it's like, oh, oh, that's him. And then he just gets the shotgun. And, oh, it's just so perfect. It was so yeah. effective. I gotta say, though, something to tide you over would easily be my second favorite. Even if Ted Danson's not the happiest to be in this film, he doesn't look too fondly on this or working with Romero in retrospect. Leslie Nielsen is cold in this, man. Galen Ross, for what little bit we see of her before she's a zombie, is just beautiful. And you got to admit, the torture is pretty unique. Yeah, well, the my, my favorite thing in this, and it's so subtle, but when Leslie Nielsen goes to see Ted Danson and there's the crab and he goes, found a friend, Harry. Oh, it's so, it's just ridiculous how he's just delighted over this. It, uh, that always makes me laugh. Actually, I think the most effective shot in this is where Leslie Nielsen's just got a drink and he's laying on the bed and he's watching Ted Danson on the monitor and Ted just whips. He, he almost does like a whip pan with his head right into camera. Like, I'm going to kill you, Richard. <laughs> That's such a creepy moment. 
great moments in that. Like I said, that that one seems to be kind of subtle with the way that it's using the comic book stuff at times, but when they do use it, it is so great. That that shot of of Ted Danson's head completely submerged where he's trying to hold his breath and that green yeah. light's coming up behind him. Oh yeah. And I I just got to point this out. Leslie Nielsen's house in this is the most 80s house I've ever seen. It looks like a drug dealer from a Miami Vice episode would live in that house, doesn't it? I can see that. That's what I assumed he was and why he was so rich. Well, he always keeps <laughs> what's his, you know. And he, he, loves, he loves the TV connectors. See, I can't believe you didn't notice, you know, your picture going bad. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I really enjoy about something to tide you over is that his torture of Ted Danson... That could be a story in and of itself right there. But then it keeps going, and it, it has this great payoff as they come I back can hold it. my breath for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For me, the crate is one of the ones, like, when I was a kid watching that, like, 13 you years had old. You fluffy, didn't you? Oh, my God. I just – the – when he grabs onto that janitor and starts pulling him into the crate. And this time though, I have to say watching it all these years later, I was just laughing my ass off, especially just like gleefully waiting for Billy to go into that, uh, that crawl space and just get murdered. I was so happy to see that. And I, all these years, I never really realized that it was Fritz Weaver as the third person in the story. So that was really wonderful to kind of finally have that click. I knew Holbrook and Barbeau, but Fritz Weaver, for some reason, just was not there for me. One thing I do want to bring up real quick is with the exception of the lonesome death of Jody Vero, every story is about bad things happening to bad people. Oh, they're True. all awful people in this They're movie. all awful people in Father's Day that get their comeuppance. Something to tide you over, you had Leslie Nielsen. The crate, you had Adriana Barbeau's bitch character. And I they're wanted to see her character get killed. Oh, I oh, loved yeah. seeing like all the various ways he's fantasizing about oh, killing her. Yeah. <laughs> She's awful. But you almost get this Just call her that, Billy. <laughs> you almost get this feeling that Hal Holbrook's character is a nice guy who's just been pushed too far, that he's not really this murderous psychopath that his cunt of a wife has kind of made him into, you know? Oh, exactly, yeah. Definitely. Having five stories was probably a good idea, because if you didn't like the comedy in Jody Verrill, well, then you had something and tied you over. If you didn't like the zombie-ish aspect of Father's Day, well, then you had the cockroaches of their creeping up on you. And then, and then you've got the very obvious comic book transitions, and then the book ends where Tom Atkins is a freaking jackass in this. Oh, but yeah. I don't know if if uh, he deserved what happened to him at the end with the voodoo doll. I don't know if he was that much of a jackass. Well, still bad things happening to bad people. That's why God made fathers, babe. He, yeah, he is so great in that. I just, yeah. It, I The thing that I have a hard time with is that Stephen King would name his son Joe so that his name is Joe King. That's just not nice. That's not nice at all. It's very Stephen King, though. And yeah. I've seen pictures of him recently, um, now going under the name Joe Hill. Oh, my God. He is really starting to look like his dad, so I feel really bad for the kid. Well, did you guys notice some of the little foreshadowing in the framing sequences? For instance, when the when the Creepshow comic book is in the garbage can and the wind is blowing the pages around, 
they blow past the voodoo doll ad and you can all, you can see long before it's paid off that the coupon has been cut out from that. Oh yeah. I thought that was a nice bit of foreshadowing and then of course the garbage men pointed out as well. For a movie made in mm-hmm. 1982 it still feels very fresh to me. And the effects are great. Oh, it's it's one of Romero's best. I I I watch this more than any of his dead movies. Yeah, it's a terrific movie. Well, then this was quite a big hit. Now, this was Creepshow was such a big hit, they wanted to make a TV series out of it. While they were prepping Creepshow the TV series, they found out that certain rights distributors didn't want a TV show made of the movie, they wanted a sequel made. So what they did was they said, let's just make the TV series anyway and we'll call it something else. And they made Tales from the Dark Side. A lot of the same crew, a lot of the same style, and this will come back up later. That Tales from the Dark Side was originally meant to be Creepshow the series. Tales from the Dark Side came out in 1983 and kicked ass in the ratings. It lasted for four seasons and eventually got its own movie. But in the meantime, in 1987, they actually made Creepshow 2, this time by the post-Roger Corman New World Pictures. This time, it only had a $3.5 million budget, made $14 million. So cost to profit, it made about the same as what the first film did. But unfortunately, this time, the critics were not as kind to Creepshow 2. What did you think of Creepshow 2? You know, I saw this one at the theater back in 87, and it really didn't hold up for me then and it still doesn't hold up for me now i think it kind of suffers because it's three stories with a really slight kind of wraparound for this one an animated wraparound which was kind of odd and just those three stories took forever it felt like to get going so i just um this one doesn't do it that much for me there's a couple quotable lines for me again but it just yeah it's like especially the first story um just takes forever for anything to happen and it's like please can we please just kind of cut to the chase yeah it, it's not as good it's not anywhere near as good it's okay like it's something it's something to watch if there's nothing else on or i don't know if you're feeling a little nostalgic but um really it, it they made a mistake by not doing as many stories and by dragging those three stories out instead of having like five stories that were a little faster paced. And even if it went two hours, cause this movie, it's only 92 minutes, but it feels like it's so much longer than the first one. The reason for that was budget. The reason for that was budgetary because mm-hmm. to do five stories, which they had intended would have required five sets, five mm-hmm. different sets of actors five locations, five different costumings, and whatnot. So the three stories was literally a budgetary thing. We can only afford three. But the thing that's stupid to me is the first movie, by the point, by the time this came out, the first movie was already a classic. The first movie had done really well. So why wouldn't they give them the budget to do the sequel that they wanted to make? Because obviously the first one worked and was a really big hit. People were going to inevitably go see the sequel. Why not give it the money that it deserved New instead World, of changing it? New World Pictures post-Roger Corman, or even during Roger Corman's run, never spent more than $5 million on a film. But they only get okay. They they could have given it five million. They maybe could have done four stories, but they only gave it three point five million. They way shortchanged it. Only liked the raft. The other two stories are 
cliched and dull. But The Raft, I really like that story, both Stephen King's original short story and that adaptation of it. Because that's why I watched the movie in the first place when I was eight or nine. My parents just showed me that part because they felt it was something I had to see huh. before going to a lake. Nice. <laughs> well, they were just screwing with you then. Thanks, mom and, and dad. I, I watched the ra- you know. Wouldn't it be funny if your if your mom and dad went ahead of time and threw some trash bags into the water? With every time I watch that that part of the movie, and they're on the raft together, and it's just the two of them, and they're about to do it. I'm like, yeah, do it. And then, oh, worst cock-blocking sludge ever. Well, technically, <laughs> she still took a shot in the face. Oh. Oh, shut up. That wasn't that bad. Yes, it was. But yeah, I, I got to agree with you guys. Creepshow 2 was weak. The stories, especially Chief Woodenhead, I agree, Mike, it took forever to get going. It felt like this whole thing was set up. And then it's only the last five minutes where any goddamn thing happens in this story. It's cliched to begin with. The hitchhiker is so cliched, I thought there had to be some special twist ending that they were going to throw on. Right. You know, you know, to kind of, we know we're making something cliched, so we're going to give you a special new twist that you didn't see coming. It did nothing special and just went on and on. Personally... I kind of liked the wraparound story, not for the story itself, but the animation was very Harry Canyon heavy metal-esque, and mm-hmm. I really I really liked the animation. I also liked the voice that they gave Tom Savini as the creep. The raft is really the only takeaway from this. And yet, just like the first film, the characters are all assholes. And for some bizarre reason, I don't know what Michael Gornick wanted to do with this, there's a running thing where everyone... Everyone in every story is watching the old TV show, The Cisco Kid, with the whole poncho thing, and then in Old Chief Woodenhead, they're watching it on TV, and then they're playing the radio serial and the hitchhiker. I don't know what the Cisco Kid thing was. Did any of you get that more than I did? I'm wondering if it was kind of an homage back to the first movie where the um, the ashtray kind of shows up in all three. So it's like, we got to have something that shows, or all five, we got to have something that shows up in every single one of these. And I don't know why they would pick a Cisco Kid episode <laughs> to do that. It was just bizarre. Maybe it's yeah. all they had the rights to. Right, <laughs> there you go. Cisco Kid's public domain, so... Maybe. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that's they were already running on a low budget, and they needed to throw something in there, so... Don't they call each other Cisco and Pancho in Old yeah. Chief Woodenhead? Yeah. They, they, they do the same thing in the raft. He keeps he keeps uh, the the jock asshole keeps calling the med school asshole uh, Pancho. Yeah, that's just weird, man. It's it's bizarre. And the one thing that I really did like about the raft was the nice girl is you know traditionally in a monster movie is going to be if not the last one killed the survivor she's the first one to go. Right. I did kind of like that because it subverted the order I thought that they were all going to die in. But I agree. The the raft is my personal favorite out of that bunch, too. Although I do find myself doing the thanks for the ride, lady. Oh, yeah. Between that line and then uh, Holt McCallery's, this hair's going to get me paid and laid. That's which, which the line also, I always go back to. Should we point out the racism that Holt McCallery is a white guy who's playing a full-blooded Indian in this in literal red face. I don't know if that's racist or if they were making a statement or so Creepshow 2 didn't do so well. I mean it did it did well financially but the critics just destroyed 
this film. This film was not nearly as well received as the first Creep Show was. Now we go back to Tales from the Dark Side, the TV show. The TV show is still kicking ass. The TV show only lasted four seasons of new episodes and seven seasons in syndication. Tales from the Dark Side was doing so good at this point that it actually was still getting great ratings years after they stopped producing new episodes. I need to get into a little history of what happened with Tales from the Dark Side to its spinoff show Monsters, because that'll play into what happens next here. They found, since this was first-run syndication, that it was much easier to sell a new show to advertisers than it was the fifth season of a returning show. So they found they were having a hard time selling Tales from the Dark Side Season 5. So just like how Creepshow the series became Tales from the Dark Side, they made what I think was probably a really great decision. Let's just change the name. Same sets, same crew, same cast, same everything. But now we have, instead of the fifth season of Dark Side, the first season of Monsters. And the advertisers loved that. That had worked once, so when they were trying to make Creepshow 3, they were trying to find the money from, from Paramount for Creepshow 3, the name didn't have the recognition anymore. So they did what they did from Dark Side to Monsters. Well, Dark Side's popular. It's off the air now. Monsters is in its second season. How about instead of Creepshow 3, we just call it Tales from the Dark Side the movie? All of all of the stories in here were made for Creepshow 3, with, with the exception of Cat from Hell. That was actually meant to be part of Creepshow 2, but they didn't have the budget for it. So Tales from the Dark Side the movie is technically Creepshow 3 in 1990. I, it's kind of funny because I'm watching it and I'm like, I don't, I've never seen this movie before. And it's going on and going on and going on. And then it finally gets to the Cat from Hell uh, episode, the second one. And it's like, oh, yeah, I have seen this one before. So to say that it's not memorable is pretty much uh, where it's at for me. This was just, it kind of drags quite a bit for me. The Cat from Hell thing just did not work at all for me. And then Lover's Vow, I was just the third story. Just, yeah, it uh, that one didn't do it for me either. It was like a five-minute story that they stretched out to like 20 minutes. The only one that really kind of worked for me at all was the uh, the first one, just because it was so nice to see young Steve Buscemi and Julianne Moore. Um, I really could have done without Christian Slater in that one. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, it is a lot better than Creepshow 2. It definitely has more of the vibe of the first one, that kind of tongue-in-cheekness. Uh, my personal favorite was uh, Lover's Vow, because it just ends like so, oh, oh, <laughs> she's just eviscerating the guy. It, it's, it's a cool movie. I, I like it. It's not something I would watch uh, all the time, but uh, I do have, I, I do enjoy it when I see it. It is, it is a, a little slow at points, but um, having Debbie Harry... Uh, you know, for the for the intro, having the Debbie Harry as a witch trying to cook Matthew Lawrence is is pretty fantastic. Like Mike, I had that like I've never seen this, and then that moment of recognition with the cat from hell, where I was like, this sounds familiar. Um, well, you may have read the story because that was actually based off of an already published Stephen King story, so maybe you read the short story on that one. You know what? That I was actually in different seasons, I believe. Then that's where I would recognize it from. I was completely bored by the movie, completely. Um, 
you know, yeah, there was the novelty of seeing Steve Buscemi and them all on the first story. They front-loaded their stars in the beginning. Um, Oh, come on. David Johansson? (laughs) In in prime Buster Poindexter-type mode here? I mean, he's not singing hot, 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 but... You know, he's he's given the broad New York accent. I thought he was going for a New York Dolls kind of thing, really. He's kind of doing the cab driver from Scrooge a little bit, you know, or maybe his character from Free Jack. I mean, it was just it, when the cat f-ing jumps into his mouth, I was like, you got to be f-ing kidding me. That was the moment of recognition for me. The other thing that I was totally bored by it. um, the second story was stretched out too. The third story, rather, the lovers thing, was stretched out too much. Uh, the first story, though, was really. It took me a while to get through that because I just could not get into it at all. I was looking for excuses to leave that movie. And see, I saw Tales from the Dark Side the movie when it first came out in May of 1990, and then I saw it again on a Halloween night midnight showing along with Hellraiser 2 in 1990 that my local theater had. I watched this movie a bunch of times growing up. I I think Lot 249 is easily the strongest. I agree with Mike, Lover's Vow goes on way too long, and you can pretty much guess the ending after the first five minutes. Cat from Hell, I think, is kind of fun in an absurdist kind of way. I mean, you hire a hitman to kill a cat that you think is the embodiment of all of the cats you killed at your pharmaceutical company to test a drug. That's so absurdist, I don't think you're meant to take it seriously, you know? So, I I don't know. I liked Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. And an interesting thing here is that the casting of this, that William Hickey, Ray Don Chong, Christian Slater, and Steve Buscemi would all go on to appear in either episodes of Monsters or had been on Tales from the Dark Side, the TV series before, Debbie Harry as well. And this was Julianne Moore's first movie role and she's still unlike jennifer aniston with leprechaun julianne moore is very happy to tell people that this was her first movie she's still proud of this oh also the, i hated the wraparound story it felt insulting to me it was like oh like debbie harry the, trying to eat matthew lawrence like, it's hansel and gretel with with just hansel because you know what who cares about gretel and it turns into like arabian nights well, let me tell you a story about a mummy. Like, this kid is going to know what college life is like. This He's kid reading is it out know. of a book. Yeah, but he, he, the fact that this kid comprehends it to tell the story from maybe, the book. Maybe she already ate Gretel. I thought that her performance was kind of, I don't know, wooden. It just, <laughs> I like Debbie Harry, and I like her as an actress, but it just felt like she just was not on that day or something or was on something else. Well, this film, it did quite well. It actually had the same budget that Creepshow 2 did of $3.5 million, and it made 16. So it made a little bit more. If you adjust for inflation, it's probably about the same. But in this case, this Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, did much better on home video than it did theatrically. This movie was a big hit. Now, at this point, the Monsters TV series is completely... I mean, at one point, Fangoria, I think it was season two, Fangoria called Monsters the best horror TV show of the last decade. And Monsters was pretty damn good. But this was kind of the end for Romero and Stephen King. They they didn't make any more of these movies. They kind of went their separate ways. Stephen King did write a few Dark Side episodes. He wrote a, a Monsters episode or two. They kind of moved on. And then this franchise, if you will, died until... 
2007 when Creepshow <laughs> 3 was 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 unleashed on the world. This part is speculation. I do not know this for any kind of a fact. I don't believe this movie was made as Creepshow 3. First of all, it's made by Taurus Entertainment. They have a history of just making movie or buying already standing movies and then finding out that they have the rights to certain franchises. They did it with Extro 3. It wasn't made as an Extro movie. They did it with Day of the Dead 2, Contagium. That wasn't made as a sequel to Day of the Dead. And then they do it with this. I don't know this for a fact, but judging from the fact that there's nothing horror-related in Creepshow 3, I'm going to heavily speculate that this was not made as Creepshow 3 and simply titled as such. It's all horror-related. They're science fiction stories. The assholes that think their professor's girlfriend is a robot, the bad knockoff of Flick... They think she's a robot, so they cut her up into a million pieces, and they like there's dismembered body parts around. That's horror. That's not sci-fi. That's horror because she's not a robot. If she was actually a robot, that'd be sci-fi. I hated this film. Not only do I think this is the worst film in this franchise, if I'm even going to allow it to actually be part of this franchise, I think this Creepshow 3 is one of the worst anthology films I have ever seen. This film seems to have been made by people that said, let's just make a movie. It doesn't have to be good. It just has to be a movie. I liked it a lot. I had a good time with it. I, I thought the the opening credits and everything were cheesy as hell. I mean, they're just basically made with really shitty animation and some sound effects that were just taken right from the Hanna-Barbera library. Once we kind of get into it, though, I actually... Uh, enjoyed it. I mean, Alice was okay. Alice definitely um, uh, felt very sci-fi. Kind of felt like Amazing Stories a little bit to me. And when she starts like changing into this weird creature, I didn't really get it a whole lot. But then once we started to get into the radio and Call Girl and these kind of stories, I definitely enjoyed that. And I kind of, I know it's it's a cliche kind of thing, but the way that the stories are kind of tied together and they're bouncing from one to another and mixed up in time and everything, that kept me very interested. I like the professor character who kept coming in. He kept me very interested. And so I just, I thought that it worked. I like that there were multiple, multiple stories that it wasn't the three stories of creep show two and the three stories of tales from the dark side this one seemed to have a lot more entertainment going into it so i i dug it cecil you didn't see this one right no i missed this one unfortunately all right then we'll move to alex before i really get into why i truly hate this film I'm kind of with Mike on this one that I um at first I was a bit put off because of the the horrible animated animated opening in the first half of you, the You album. mean when you start your movie with 1990s clip art in 2007? Yeah, that was a huge turnoff, but in the first half of the Alice story which was so t- goofy with the oh we got this universal remote. Oh look, here's the subtitles and suddenly her family's Mexican. When they play with the hue and they're black people, which yeah. See, actually was kind of funny to me. The stories are kind of fun. The second one with the radio was dragged on a bit, but the one where the, they think the professor's ex new wife is a robot had a wonderful dark sense of humor. And the way they were connected, I did yeah. enjoy. And I liked the ending where it kind of all the characters that survived kind of are there at the end 
and you kind of get a glimpse of how their lives went on after their story, that all of this stuff happened in the same world. And see, that – I just – the vibe I got off this is the same vibe I got off Feast, the first Feast movie. These guys think they're a lot more clever than they really are with, like, the interconnections. I, I got this vibe off of them, and seeing an interview with the director, he's kind of an arrogant jerk – I just really got this vibe of, oh my god, I am so clever to do this. And, and then everyone else going, no, no, you're not. That's but not clever he, at all. That's stupid. Because every single anthology has a wraparound story. This one was clever enough to create continuity within itself and not need a wraparound. It had the stories themselves wrapping around each other. Yeah, so did Trick or Treat. And I get the very big feeling this that the idiots who directed this thought they were Michael Dotry, and they're not nearly as clever as he is. One of my problems is, for one thing, the budget. This film had a $3.5 million budget. You noticing a, a, a trend here, Cecil? Yeah. <laughs> 3.5 seems to be the sweet spot. There's no way this film cost $3.5 million. Literally, when one of the characters turns into a monster, it's a Photoshop stretch effect. One of the characters actually starts melting via clip art. When the guy turns into the monster in Call Girl, it's so obviously a mask. He can't even close the giant mouth. There's no f***ing way this movie costs three and a half million dollars. Uh, you'd be surprised. $3.5 million doesn't stretch as like it did in 1988. It certainly does not. This film yeah, I just blew through $3.5 million last weekend. Well, that was just because of your coke habit. But I hated every second of this. Seriously, I there. it takes a lot for me to constantly turn a movie off. It took me almost eight attempts to get through this movie in completion. Because every 15 minutes I'd go, F*** you! And I'd turn it off and I'd have to come back a day or two later and watch another 15 or 20 minutes and then get pissed at it. I got through it in one sitting. I, I, well, no, I had to stop once to, to use the bathroom. Yeah, I'm just so surprised how, how, you know, the vitriol thrown at this movie. It's just like, I don't know. I've seen a lot worse uh, movies than this, especially, you know, I'm even thinking of like fucking Creepshow, or not Creepshow, Cat's Eye, or... Um, yeah, but at know. least Cat's Eye had the no smoking thing with James Woods. That was good. And then the I was terrific. What was that? Uh, trapped ashes. I mean, they're, oh, they're, the trapped ashes was terrible. I'll give you that one. There have just been some. I mean, I've pretty much have sworn off. I mean, creep show for me is the pinnacle when it comes to some of these things. And then there's like an old, um, an old one with like Peter Cushing that was pretty good. But then otherwise, it's just like I try to stay away from these anthology movies as much as possible. What's that? Are you thinking of Monster Club with Peter Cushing and Christopher? No. No, this one was, um, I'll, I'll look it up. But yeah, I mean, that's why I stay, I mean, I have suffered through two of the three shitty VHS movies. I haven't watched the ABCs of Death, but it's just because I don't want to experience this unevenness. I think that the first creep show is the one, even though it goes from comedy and horror and all this kind of stuff, it, it feels very even keel when it comes to this. It doesn't feel like I'm just like, you know, oh God, and then another thing. Maybe it's because George Romero was the, the director through the entire thing versus these, we'll get five directors to do five different things, and maybe two of them are decent. Creepshow 3 did have a feel of consistency to it, though. It did. All, all the all the series, all the, all the parts had the same 
sense of style, the same sense of humor to them for the funny ones. And they each found the same things to be either horrifying or humorous. I didn't find them either horrifying or humorous. I found them insulting. Now, we have to decide, as fans of Creepshow in general... Oh, <laughs> Tales from the Crypt was the one I'm thinking of. The 70s one? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. That, that one was actually pretty good. Yeah, I thought Vault are... of Horror was quite good, too, from the 70s. The, the, the Amicus stuff was not bad. The Amicus yeah. ones really did not do bad. Fans of the Creepshow franchise need to decide... What it, what is Creepshow three? Is it Creepshow three or is it Tales from the Dark Side the movie? George Romero, Stephen King, and Tom Savini all are on record that Tales from the Dark Side the movie is the real Creepshow three. So what what do you guys think? Is Creepshow three just a mindless cash in the way Day of the Dead two Contagium? Extro 3, Watch the Skies, and 8mm 2 is just a, we had the rights to the name, so screw you? Or do you think it's an actual legitimate successor to the Romero King stuff? Funny, when you list off George Romero, Tom Savini, and Stephen King, I feel like it's like one of those Karnak uh, things from the old Carson show, where like I would rip open the envelope and it would say, who are three people whose opinions I don't give a shit about? Because, like, seriously, like, Romero's been out of touch for 20 years. Savini just seems like a jerk. And Stephen King, I mean, the guy's just, for his last 20 books, he's just been phoning it in. So it's like, I really don't care what they think. And, you know, I really... But then again, I really don't care which one is a real creep show movie. So my vote is I don't care. That's fair uh, enough. I disagree with you, but fair enough. I will kind of go with I don't care. But Tales from the Dark Side, they've said, oh, this is the unofficial. This is this what is we the real deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, until there was a movie called Creep Show 3. Yeah, that was Creep Show 3. But then this other movie comes along with the rights to the Creep Show franchise and they're going to make a creep show movie they can't exactly call it creep show free three i mean i'm sorry they can't exactly call it creep show four because that'll confuse the hell out of people that oh, what the hell's creep show three why they so do they that with the they do that with the house movies house three doesn't exist in america it's the horror show and then all of a sudden you go house one house two the horror show house four yeah well see and how, how did you just know that right off the bat, did, or did House Four come out and you're being like, "Oh yeah, that's cool," because I saw House Three. No, because to- I remember when I saw the horror show, reading about it in Fangoria, how everywhere else in the world except America and Canada, that was House Three. Yeah, it, it took me a decade to realize that there was no movie called House Three. I spent ten years looking for that fucking thing. Okay, so that's why they called the movie Creep Show Three because they didn't want to piss people off by pretending a movie not called Creepshow 3 was actually Creepshow 3. Uh, I think that it's probably more along the lines of uh, Tales from the Dark Side is what Creepshow 3 should have been. And more than likely, a lot of what they're saying is... they pro- Do they have any... Um, they have stakes in Tales from the Dark Side? Like, was any of them a producer or... George Romero produced Tales from the Dark Side, and uh, Stephen King wrote it, and, St- and Savini did the effects. So they all have okay. stakes in Dark Side. Okay, so basically also money is playing an issue, because they're right. also saying, this is the real t- uh, Creepshow 3, if you want to see it, see this, don't see that other piece of garbage. Well, I mean, even if you're going to go like that, look at, like, the Ator movies. The Iron Warrior, which is actually Ator 3, is... No, you know, 
Dietors were Dietors were Damato, right, Jowski? Yes, yes. Joe Damato made a tour the Invincible. He made one, two, made... and four, and says, "Yeah, that third one that that I didn't make that doesn't exist." And and my fourth movie says, "No, Iron Warrior is not a real Ator movie." Cave Dwellers is Ator two, and then he let Alfonso Brescia make a movie. Iron Warrior. Iron Warrior. And D'Amato hated it. He hated it. And he's like, that's not what I think is Ator 3. Even though it's called Ator 3, it's not my Ator 3. And to prove it, I'm going to make my own Ator 3. It's Quest for the Mighty Sword. Are you guys talking about like that shitty movie that was on Mystery Science Theater all those years ago? <laughs> yeah, did, 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 yeah. You, you yeah. didn't know that that was part of a franchise? No, I just thought it was called Cave Dwellers. It's part, it's part two of a franchise. Does it have anything to do with your The Hunter from the Future? I wish that would be phenomenal. That would be phenomenal. I want to see or your crossover. If you had to sum up the Creepshow franchise as four movies, that Creepshow, Creepshow 2, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and Creepshow 3, would you recommend this as a franchise to horror movie fans, and that includes all four movies? Yeah, why not? I mean, like I said, I've seen a lot worse. Because there, are, there's good ones in here, even in the... The one that's titled Creepshow 3. Even if somebody had to watch uh, all three Creepshow movies, uh, I, I would definitely recommend it simply because you need to see the first movie. The The first Creepshow is so good that yeah. it kind of offsets having to watch the other two. I Like I said, I haven't seen the third, so I can't speak to how good or bad it is. But um, it yeah, it's worth sitting through all three just to see the first one. Well, then the final question about the Creepshow franchise would be, what do you guys think about the long-threatened remake that the writer of Transformers 2, Dark of the Moon, he doesn't want to make Creepshow 4, he wants to make a remake. Now, I don't know if that means adapting the same stories again or if he's just after the title. I think that's a bad idea, especially after seeing how easily you screwed up Creepshow 3. I do not want a remake of Creepshow. I don't think that they would yeah okay first off i really don't care um second off things get killed in um development all the time so who knows if it would actually happen third off if i were going to do it i would call it creep show i would pick out five different stories and just go from there and just be cashing in on the name and uh doing this god-awful like i mean to call the franchise vhs when nothing is actually shot on VHS, it makes as much sense to call something Creepshow and have nothing that actually calls from the movies at all. So, why not cash in on the name? Go for it. Yeah, fuck you. Okay, if he actually makes it through the production and makes this, I'm not going to watch it because I refuse to see anything that Aaron Kruger has had his grubby, milk-dud-covered hands on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. It's just... Another, Especially like, by the people who gave us such high quality as Transformers 2. Uh, the the thing is, like, uh, how can you? I mean, I I don't know. It, it just it, it's pointless at this point. Uh, like, they they would be riding off of the name, and if they just redid the same stories, it would be stupid. It would at least make sense if they made um you know if they did five new stories. But more than likely, is writing off the name really worth it? Considering that Creepshow three has a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, has 
every single IMDb review of it that links to another website is a negative review. Is it really riding off the name if everyone hates the name at this point? Uh, you know, it, it basically it's it is in their eyes it's still a name they can spin, and uh, they'll they, when they probably would market it, they would do something like, you know, based on the famous, you know, uh, anthology series from Stephen King, you know, they throw a bunch of names out there and try to get people, you know, to remember the original and to forget about the other ones. And see, I, I think it's just, I think it's a bad idea, but I don't like remakes in general. I think the name, it really doesn't have the power that it did. This being the 200th episode of Radiodrome, Mike, do you have anything to say, whether you're serious or you're giving me shit over the over 200 episodes of Radiodrome, of which you've been part of, God, 15 or 20 probably? Well, 200 is definitely nothing to laugh about. I mean, it is something to celebrate, so I definitely am uh, wishing you congratulations on this. I mean, you're, you've done a tremendous job, and I'm uh, really glad to have been a part of this so thank you for having me on the show and um, i hope that you will continue to have me on and even if you don't i wish you the best of success with this hint hint mike's already scheduled in a couple of weeks so that was all bluster jowski i don't know how many episodes this is for you but what are your thoughts on radio drum hitting 200 oh i think i've D did you have your hundredth yet or not but i don't know that's it's over 100 i've been on i believe Probably, but, but I'd have to go back and actually count that I'm too lazy to do that. Well, you're probably going to have about 200 more at the way things are going, so keep up the good work. And then Cecil, this is your 50th. It's actually your 50th. Even though you missed a couple, you were on a couple before you actually joined the show, so this is your 50th episode. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Fair enough. You're no Brad Jones, but then who is? I'm no Brad Jones, and apparently the computer doesn't thinks I'm not either, so it keeps cutting me off. I'm happy that the show has hit 200. I'm proud of probably 190 of these episodes. There's we've had our share of bad ones, but it. I think Radiodrome's a good show, whether you like it or or not. That's up to you. But Radiodrome's gonna stick around. We're gonna hit our 400th, and then our 500th. 500th? 500th episode sooner or later. So I want to thank Mike, Cecil, and Alex for being here to celebrate the 200th episode and for sitting through the Creepshow franchise. Mike, where can people find you if they wish to contact you? They can find me over at projectionboothpodcast.com or at geekjuicemedia.com. Cecil, if your computer allows it, where can people find you? People can find me over at goodbadflix.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. Alex, when you're not sacrificing virgins for an Egyptian feast, where, where, you, where are you? At geekjuicemedia.com, still sacrificing virgins. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Where's my cake? <laughs> Suit of a strange kind of quarry.
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.